first of all, hello everybody. First of all, we <laughs> Hi, have everybody. to correct a grave omission we made last week. <laughs> oh my god, how did we miss it though? The omission of all omissions. So Not Radio Free America. The voice is, of course, future president Oprah Winfrey. (laughs) She has claimed that she's not interested. Still, in this republic. I think we should make her run. Yeah. It is Oprah on the voiceover. We apologize. A lot of you contacted me and were like, how dare you? And I agree with you. Uh, I don't know how we missed it. We're just so distracted with all the births. There was a lot of birth. There was so much birth. Uh, so that. Enough birth that you could almost smell it, really. <laughs> okay. Uh, the other one is actually a little tidbit that I picked up on an article on um, Sci-Fi Wire, so sci-fi.com. And the writer is uh, Jesse Murray. And you can find this article on our Handmaid's Podcast Facebook page at the Handmaid's Podcast. If you want me to just, like, email it to you, just contact me. I'll send you the link. So when Offred is in Commander McKenzie's summer home, as it were, the one of the rooms, I think it's the office, but it could be another room where Study in the... library or something. Yeah, exactly. In the background, there are actually three pictures, uh, three maps, and each map has different... Uh, it's of the United States in general, but each map has a different red filled in areas. So, so um, the 48 states that encompass the yeah. body of the continent um, with the United States, um, it starts out with um, basically the entire East Coast is red, and that's what they've covered. And then the second map in the middle is the entire East Coast and like the Rust Belt, and then a couple of odds and ends in the Southwest. And then the third one is all 48 main states bright red, as if they've taken over the whole thing. And in this newest episode, um, there is a single comment that even if they went west, it would all be Gilead. So we do now have confirmation that all 48 states are Gilead red. 48 contiguous. Yes. Correct. Minus Alaska and Hawaii. Those are the only only two that are still, quote-unquote, United States. Correct. Which makes perfect sense, because... Non-contiguous. It's right. really difficult to march your army across the water or through Canada where they won't give you passage. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So we are getting Easter eggs and information slowly but surely, especially mm-hmm. that's sort of the th- theme of season two is what right. we had hoped for to get sort of more of a sense of what's going on in the political sphere and the right. world at large. We haven't, we've gotten more than we got in season one in terms of mm-hmm. international politics. Which I love. I, I do too, but there is still a lot of questions. Plenty. Plenty uh, that uh, we'll hopefully answer in season three, and we still have one more episode left of season two. Yes. So that was an interesting little uh, tidbit that was pointed out by that writer on sci-fi.com. So again, you can find that on our Facebook page, or I'll email you, whatever you need. Um, So we are going to cover just uh, one uh, listener comment that was sent to me this week, and it was by Laura H., And she says, hi, I love listening to the podcast each week. However, with the show so intricately entwined, 
with motherhood and all it takes to carry and raise children and the toll that takes, I think it would be prudent to have a mother as a commentator. There's a unique voice that is missing from the narrative. And uh, that I would is, agree. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you cannot escape motherhood in this show. And no. Well, there you go, Abigail. You just got to go get pregnant. Hey. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's I'm your mission. Get pregnant. You're <laughs> the youngest. Season three. So I was emailing with uh, Abigail and Kay this week yes. that, you know, although that's, you know, a, very excellent you know it's a very specific thing you know to birth a child or to adopt a child and to, right. to raise children um uh, from infancy or at, at, at any stage it's a very unique experience for each mother however i you know made the point that women are more often um put on not put on but more often women are the caretakers or the natural choice for right. caretakers traditionally yeah traditionally it is seen that women are the caretakers the nurturers the i'm gonna be there and take care of you vibe um and we we do have a natural instinct i mean that i mean it it's there for both men and women it's mm-hmm. not just us alone so i mean even in the new age where you know men are staying home i've got a brother-in-law who stays home and takes care of his child and you know, does some work on the side as well. Mm -hmm. And then I've got a sister that's a stay-at-home wife. Like, you know, you've got both sides of the spectrum. And I, But in this show, it is very traditional in concept where the wives are the ones that stay home and take care of the children. And then you've got Martha's and handmaids, and it's very female-oriented in the house. Absolutely. And I think the other thought that was... I was thinking about in that comment was that, you know, there have been a lot of articles and interviews I've listened to lately about caretakers, not only in the United States, but how that sort of uh, void in the healthcare system has been taken over by caretakers. And I don't know an exact percentage, but a majority of them tend to be women. Yes. You know, when a uh, ailing parent, grandparent, or, you know, if a spouse is sick, it's... um, but so that is there's what, actually and a, that's yeah. probably why um, those jobs don't pay well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, there's also mm-hmm. an episode or a couple of episodes of Friends where um, Ross and oh shoot Jennifer Anderson's character Rachel Rachel when Ross and Rachel um, have their child and they are looking for a nanny. And a guy actually interviews to be the nanny, and Ross is like, this is not okay. This is not okay. Yeah, he's like, And what's that about she's it? just like, what's wrong with it? Mm-hmm. Like, he's a great caretaker. He, he has his master's in early education. Like, what's the problem here? And he was like, it's uncomfortable. It's not right. Like, he, he couldn't get past the concept that a woman should be the one to take care of the child not a man why are we letting a man into this house i'm the man of the house it's it's a very interesting concept to visit you know what what does it mean to be a caretaker do you have to be female no but it has been ingrained into our society that's typically how it's done absolutely well i think part of it was as if i recall correctly at least with that one was that their child was a girl yes their child is a girl and she, he didn't want a guy taking care of their daughter. I don't know if it was that alone. I think it no, was... No, no, no. I'm not saying it was that alone. But I'm definitely saying, a but factor. that was, that was definitely that. one of the factors. Gotcha. I could see that. And on that point, also, you know, I uh, had uh, replied to uh, Laura that uh, going forward after season two wraps, tear, sad face, I'll be <laughs> continuing the podcast with a few other projects, and one of them I'm calling sort of a lecture series, so I'm going to be reaching out to different experts, areas of expertise, who are also fans of the show, 
and uh, just sort of having a conversation about how their field of interest or expertise relates to the show and all the themes and things like that. And one of my guests is going to be a friend of mine who is a mother and an activist and uh, male perspectives and all sorts of things. So this is also my call out to you, you know, if you have a particular area of expertise and you obviously watch and love the show, if you're listening to this podcast, send me your CV. We'll sort of start a conversation and see if it'll be a good fit to do I'm really uh, excited for that next venture. Yeah, 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 and you don't have to be in the Baltimore area. It, Alrighty, so let's talk about the episode twelve of thirteen. We're almost there. And yeah. you were saying, Kay, that uh, you felt a little underwhelmed, and it's been a rock and roll season. Well, so. you know, I, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I, I sort of felt like it was anticlimactic. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, if you think about it, there has been so much that mm-hmm. has happened in the last couple, three episodes that y- you had to come down at some point. I right. mean, the whole the whole last several, the whole season, essentially, has been building up to her giving birth to this child. Yeah. And she gave birth to the child... Which I thought was going to be the final episode, not, and you know, number 10. now yeah. we're done. And so it's like, oh, okay, she's not pregnant anymore. Right. So there's not that anticipatory aspect of things. Um, and um, so there's, you know, and, and is she going to get to see Hannah? You know, if she wants to we see Hannah. Is she, you know, we, we cleared mm-hmm. that up. Is she leaving? <laughs> She didn't leave. Yeah, so you, yeah. there, a lot of things have, to a certain extent, been resolved. So things had to come down a little bit. And we're getting close to the end right. of the season where we know there will be some kind of a cliffhanger. There yeah. always is. So I know what you're and getting so, at, but I would still argue that this episode had a lot behind it. Like, it, it might have been slower in feels, but, you know, we introduced an entirely new commander, a new household, and that's uh, there's so much uh, there to be unpacked. <laughs> I'm just... I, oh, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing. I'm just saying, I started watching it. I usually start right after midnight. Right. And, you know, when it, when it shows up, and I got about halfway in and said... I'm going to have to watch the rest of this tomorrow because I'm not... Didn't keep you awake. I'm, it's not keeping me awake. Wow. Um, yeah, that late. So, I mean, not that there were not all sorts of interesting things, but there wasn't... Enough action. Know, there wasn't action um, going on. There was stuff I had to think about. Right. And thinking about it at quarter to one with M80s <laughs> going on outside my window. Um, happy 4th of July. July. <laughs> uh, <laughs> They literally started right after midnight, so I guess there were people out there just waiting for the clock to tick over. Right. Um, it was not the best atmosphere for that. So I just <laughs> said, well, I will, when I am more awake and more focused and more able to notice things like Oprah's voice and maps on walls, <laughs> then, um, then I will be able to do that but it, it was definitely a slower episode it was a it was a, there was an episode that. where there was a lot of stuff that was there that needed to be noticed but mm-hmm. it was much slower paced yeah than we've had in a while and it opens with baby holly with serena and serena mm-hmm. has named the baby nicole so we holly with an h nicole, with an h <laughs> and uh, the next scene is off red pumping away and looks like she's back in the old Rachel and Leah Center because yeah, I was like, where is the new... Oh, yeah, right. But that doesn't make sense, up, though. Donna. If she's <laughs> in the old Rachel and Leah Center, that would be down in Alexandria, Virginia. I'm 
sure they have like other centers. Right, which is yeah. why I don't think it's the original that, that she was in originally. Not the original, probably not. It's not the new one. When but they punished all of the handmaids, and I think it was episode one. I think that's the one that they took them to. Is yeah, that to one. The museum, yeah, or high school, as it were. Right, right. right. And so she's back there. Mm-hmm. There's all the cots, and she's pumping, and you know, and she's not stuff. pumping enough. Right, and Aunt Elizabeth is, like, flipping out. You know, it's even less than yesterday, and it's really a small amount. I mean, so, theoretically. Well, well, you don't typically no, pump e- that much to begin with. Right. right. Okay. I mean, there's okay. a. I think there's this idea, and often when you see stuff on TV, you know, people are pumping entire bottles, bottles gotcha. full it's of... It's like usually, that. it's about like that. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, it's just going right. to be an ounce or two at the start for a while. And the connection matters, right? Mm-hmm. So there's some there's psychosomatic, you know, which well, we're having. It's yeah. psychosomatic, but then it's also physiological. So right. you know that scene where she, uh, she's in the uh, church mm-hmm. and she sees Nicole now, right. and Nicole starts crying. The yeah. actual action, Location. yeah, the actual action of the baby crying. Uh, releases certain um, hormones in the body, which is what forces lactation in that moment. Gotcha. There's actually a funny um, episode of The Office where uh, one of the one of the women um, just had a child, and they're walking outside, and one of the other coworkers starts like crying, like trying to wail, like in the back, and then she was like, "Oh," and he was like, "I succeeded." <laughs> oh, I do remember that. It was a um, funny episode of the house, but I mean, or the office, but, um, but yeah, no, there, there is a physiological response to crying, to having a physical baby absolutely. in the vicinity. Absolutely. And, uh, so Aunt Lydia is there and, you know, she says, you know, we're bound by Mrs. Waterford's wishes and Alfred is just sort of like, why are, are you really? Because, <laughs> you know, for a, for a hot second, Aunt Lydia was kind of calling all the shots during the pregnancy. She was. And I love this quote that Aunt Lydia says, you know, we cannot let the perfect be the enemy of the good, which is a really great quote. But what is she, she getting at there? It, but what she means is, I think that, um, the ideal situation, obviously, would be for Alfred to be in the house, nursing the child personally. Right. right. Um, but that is not possible. Because there, of mother's but, wishes. Given because of, of um, Serena's wishes. Um, so at least... What she is feeding her is your breast milk, which right. granted is being produced from here because, you know, she could be on formula. I'm guessing they still have formula. No, so that's what I was concerned about. I don't know that they do have formula because you don't have enough kids around. Would they really be making formula? And any formula that is left over, it's probably bad by now. I don't know how mm. long it lasts, though. I mean, I'm assuming it doesn't last seven years. If they have you know, truly taken over the contiguous 48 United States, you know, all the production facilities they're in is they're, they have access to. So they have production capabilities of to many make different... It well, yeah, I'm to. sure they yeah. have the capacity, but I'm not sure that they're actually doing it or else we would have seen formula by now. Oh, hmm. uh, well... Is there enough of a demand to be using those... Well, what did they do pre-formula when there's not enough breast milk? Well, that's what I was going to yeah. say, is that there have got to be situations... You know, we've got these these situations where I don't, I don't think it would be cow's milk because a lot of a lot can. of babies goat's milk? can't goats or yeah. um, 
I wondered now. whether there were Econo wives who were, mm. um, yeah, there who might were be nursemaids that could donate, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, because they're they're Absolutely. having kids yeah. on their right. own, not for other people. And friends of mine who you know have had babies, you know, some some of them sometimes get to a point where there's so much breast milk and like the baby doesn't, and, and so, so they donate banks. it, yeah, donate yeah. it mm-hmm. and give it around or freeze it or because whatnot, we so. we keep seeing all sorts of stuff where you know. It, They've got this whole Luddite culture going on. But, you know, when there's an emergency, all of a sudden all this technology yeah. shows up. You know, <laughs> like I'm listening to I've the baby seen. through the ear trumpet. And so all of a sudden, and then, you know, <laughs> she falls out a window and is bleeding all over the place. And all of a sudden there's an ultrasound. Yeah. You know, I, I have a feeling there's a lot more technology available than well, we're I'm sure aware of. Is, but but they, I, they, they they, really... the ideal thing would be for them to work yeah. In the most natural way possible. Yeah, and they're pretty OG crunchy granola when it mm-hmm. comes to that stuff. I would also argue that, um, I mean, yes, it's good that she, that, that the baby's having Alfred's um, breast, breast milk. milk. But again, it would be more ideal for her to be in the same environment, um, not only for lactation purposes, but because of her immune system. Mm-hmm. She'd be introduced to the same um, environment as the child, meaning she would have mm-hmm. the right antibodies oh, right. that that child would need in that location. Gotcha. Absolutely. Well, and I mean, Alfred's sure... been living in that house for quite some time. Yeah, but her environment is changed, which oh, means that right. she's interacting with different germs, so she'll mm-hmm. have different antibodies in her breast milk that the baby gotcha. ne- d- might not necessarily need heard that very true Uh, but i think that was what aunt lydia was getting at probably you know we at least have some access to this child and i have to bring the breast milk over there so i'm at least seeing your child because she said you know i thought you said you were going to make sure that this child was taken care of right and she said yeah she was tense about it but she said yeah you're right you're 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 right but you know we can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good at least this way she is she has access to the house she's bringing the the milk over there she sees the baby she sees them she's checking in if she says well if she if this is the hill she decides that she wants to die on no 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 you must have the handmaid in the house they're going to borrow from the house yeah and then she has no access to her at all. So right. which one you want? Um, but yeah, I mean, clearly Serena's a little. Um, she's a couple couple sandwiches short of a picnic. <laughs> there, I love that. With regard to the with regard to this child, Absolutely. I mean, she, she won't put her down. I mean, she even has changing a... her every poor. Poor um, poor Rita. Poor Rita is doing how much laundry because not because the child is soiling them, but because she wants to try every piece of knitted knitwear that she has made this child over the last however many years in that great big dress. Absolutely, it's gorgeous what she's made, but Jesus. And there is that interesting tidbit that Aunt Lydia was like, well, lots of people are fighting over you. Mm-hmm. And she's like, Great. That was so weird to me. <laughs> like, after everything creepy. she went through, she gave birth in a mansion that she shouldn't have been in the first place, and people are vying for her. Oh, that because was the other she... interesting tidbit, mm-hmm. was that they told another story. Yeah, they did tell the interesting story. You happened to be story. out for a drive, and you happened to be in this empty house which was only empty because nick went out to talk to the overzealous guardians Mm -hmm. and um uh 
and and you ended up having to give birth by yourself because they didn't understand why you all had pulled over into this empty house. Right. This story was so intricately woven, mm-hmm. but it made her out to be this heroine. Mm-hmm. Of course. Well, she kind of is, though. I mean, she's Heck a badass yeah. bitch. I'm going to yeah. give it to her. Like, she owns it. <laughs> she she yeah. delivered her own <laughs> baby during yeah. a snowstorm. Yeah. yeah, no, that was like, I am woman, hear me roar, epic finale moment mm-hmm. i mean like I'll, i'm gonna give it to her she she did it all but at the same time like to, ha- to the way that they construed the story now mm-hmm. there's people like you know making muffins brand muffins but making <laughs> muffins to try and like sway aunt lydia's choice like how funny is this yeah that's they're it's like fighting a over a handmaid this reminds me of a storyline i forget in which show but uh, they are trying to there's only so few preschool spots mm-hmm. yeah and so parents are making all these grand overtures for the uh-huh. headmaster it's, it's kind of that dealio but it's weird and messed up because they're doing it over a handmaid <laughs> But then so it's like it's like then we reading. See the other end of the it's spectrum. like reading stuff. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's like, ooh, yes. this horse makes these really uh, great yeah, thoroughbreds. Well, or okay, this so one, you know, this dog makes these, you know, prize winning, you know, puppies. Those triple crown winners, know what I'm saying? Those pedigrees. Yeah. So I know that, you know, on one end we've got people fighting for Offred or whatever we're gonna call her now. Mm-hmm. And whatever her next well, family's she's still going to be. For she now. is still offered for now. And then on the other spectrum, we have Emily. Mm-hmm. And, you mm-hmm. know, how what what did Aunt Lady say? That three had turned her away? Three or four. Three or yeah. four. And now that she was lucky to end up at this one home, and this one guy is just, he, he's an eclectic collector of things. Yeah. And even Aunt Lydia walks in, and she's just, like, thrown aback. Like, yeah. why do you have so many pre-Gilead things in your home? Why is there, you know, modern interpretation art everywhere? And why do you have, you know, yeah. uh, comic books? And, like, what is going on in this house? And then she's shuffled out. I think it's a, yeah, I think that was definitely a stark difference between, like, everyone's jumping at the chance for Alfred and nobody mm-hmm. wants to take on Emily, for sure. Yeah, so I we see both ends of the you? spectrum on this. Yeah. No. I mean, under the she's circumstances. killed some people. She's been at the colonies. Oh, she's, mean, she's been through hell yeah. in a handbasket. I'm so, not disagreeing with that, but mm-hmm. I'm just saying from their standpoint. Oh, yeah. She's more trouble than she's worth. Probably. Yeah, probably. So, I mean, we see two different odds and two, yeah. two different ends of the spectrum here with Emily and with Offred. And I think that's an interesting comparison to make in this episode. And so Aunt Lydia is like, you know, have a muffin. You earned it. She goes, I've earned a whole cake. <laughs> She's like, don't be greedy or you get nothing. Just Prideful get, girls don't get anything. anything. Prideful girls brand. don't get anything. And the brand. Uh, praise fucking be. <laughs> anyway, uh, so we get to Fred's new office. So he has a promotion of all things. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, oh, okay, but we got to talk about that. Why did he get a promotion? What exactly for? Because Do we know? Because his handmaid a is a badass bitch. Baby. <laughs> I'm sorry, because his handmaid finally gave birth. Now he gets a promotion? That doesn't make sense to All me. All of this stuff is related to, like, like the, yeah, the black guy. What's his name? Oh, Commander. I don't think they had a name. Yeah, he, yes, did. he did. He did. I'll look it up. But Continue. point being. Him with his wife that could have a child. That could online. have a child without a handmaid. He got promoted up into the upper echelons of commanderhood because his wife had a baby. Not because of something he did, but because she did it. Right. 
So, that, so you think that Fred got some... promoted because Alfred had a baby finally? Because Alfred A had a baby and not only had a baby, had a healthy baby by herself with no help during a, a snowstorm. snowstorm. Commander Horace is the Thank name. You. It's yeah. so bizarre that the way that this community is built, the way that Gilead is run, is that the men get rewarded for the women's finally having a healthy child. Yep. Yes. <laughs> Although I would point out and that there's so a words. you know, let's 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 cast back a little further back in the you know, back in, in things. Think Mad Men. You know, the whole thing was, you know, you your career trajectory had to do with your wife and your kids and your you know, your your how well did your wife hold dinner parties and yeah, yeah, was she right. an embarrassment that wasn't too long to you? Ago and that, that was, was not that long ago. Right. Absolutely. So it's not that weird that that is is something that's going on. I mean, it's a little creepy, um, but um, one has to wonder what's likely to happen to Nick, mm-hmm. who's not dead. Weren't you yes. happy? He's not dead, and he there. doesn't have a gunshot wound visible anyway. Wasn't he shot? Didn't Probably. we think he was shot? Well, we in heard a leg. gunshot, but we don't we don't know. Yeah, but he's he was not shot limping not. and he recovered mighty quickly, guys. Maybe they just cracked him over his head like you were saying. But point being, um Wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry. I might have been right. <laughs> Possibly. It happens occasionally. Not not often, but occasionally. Not God, Kate. Um But point being, one wonders what is likely to happen, happen to, to him yeah. now. Absolutely. Um, Post-Eden. And Fred is now running point on media expansion, which is like totally his vibe, right? He's oh, the media. Yeah, yeah so his background is um, actually in... Um, advertising. And advertising, marketing. thank you, okay. And so he talks about He's this... He's Don Draper. Ah! He really is, <laughs> considering that Elizabeth Moss is in this show. It's very funny. Mm-hmm. And so they talk about this misunderstanding. You know, Nick is back after, and, you know, thanks for being discreet, and we will always look out for each other, don't we? You know, there's still a lot of tension and really underhanded shit going on between them, and uh, the future is so full of possibilities for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like, oh, really? Are you sure about that? Just unclear yeah, which things, possibility. It's still full of possibilities. The question is which direction. And so he have Fred Waterford has Nick hang this family portrait of Fred, Serena, and the new baby. He goes, oh, inspiring, isn't it? And it's like, okay, you all, we all full well know that this is not your child. It's neither of your child, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just kind of a real messed up power moment because obviously he's the commander, and so he has the power in this in most situations. Um, Oh, and who was it that looked the baby and said? Was it Lydia? Was it Aunt Lydia who looked at the baby and said Mm -hmm. she looks just like her father? Yes, I almost barfed. Dying. <laughs> I'm like, no, she doesn't. Mm-hmm. Well, if she does, it's not the one you're looking at. <laughs> I was laughing so hard <laughs> at that comment. And so, um, Serena, uh, we have in the next scene, her, opens her like giant knitting chest of her, her baby clothes that she's knitted for the last 
Eon, and Eden is Seven assisting years. her, and, you know, Rita makes a comment that the milk supply is running low, and Serena's just sort of, like, ignoring the thing, like, she doesn't want to hear anything about it, like, right. it's fine. And so... And, like, everyone offers to help, and she keeps saying, no, 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 no. Yeah. And she just, she wants to be the epic mother that can handle everything for this child True. and dote on her child, and she wants the healthy, happy atmosphere that is calm and relaxing for the baby. Like, she wants to do absolutely everything right. Mm-hmm. She's trying really hard. And so we get to this next scene in the church that uh, Kay was talking about where Fred brings Holly with, and Nick is also there, and they brought it, them in proximity so that it would encourage lactation. lactation. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Alfred is, like, not having it. Because, first of all, you've wrenched this child away from her, literally from birth, and has not seen Holly, possibly, since it was a very she got picked up. It was a very emotional from, moment. Where from she, the house. She just didn't want to be connected because it would hurt too much. Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. You can definitely see that pain of, you know, it's either, like, it's it's so painful to be to not have contact with Holly. And then all of a sudden, you're offered Is that it? better or worse than to, like, see her this one time? You know what I'm Cause, saying? Because, I mean, she kind of experienced it with Hannah already. Agnes, oh, yeah. Hannah mm-hmm. Agnes, whatever mm-hmm. we want to call her. So, I mean, she had it happen already. She doesn't want to go through this again. The pain is torment. And Aunt Lydia fights for Alfred going back to the Waterford house. Mm-hmm. Which is good. Yeah. She knows what's best for the baby, and she's trying. And so... She does indeed convince him. And um, Fred also has ulterior motives, which we find out, which is so gross. Oh, I was so mad. And Serena is, like, fucking pissed. Oh, my God. She is pissed. Real pissed. She was shaking, like, physically shaking. She was so livid. And now we've sort of broken the dam about, you know, how they spoke to each other in that big old empty house and yeah. listening. So she's kind of still accessing a little bit of that candid anger, that can that's been open mm-hmm. since that moment and really laying into him. And he's, and well, so and she, she probably also a, hasn't had a whole lot of sleep. Truth. Probably very not. True. Probably not. Holly seems to be very, very fussy. Mm-hmm. And so, I wonder if Holly's a little bit colicky. Because hmm. there were some moments where she, the baby was just bright red, would not stop crying, and there was nothing that, to be done about it. I mean, it's definitely a possibility. And I mean, sometimes babies just have to cry. Sometimes they just have to cry, and yeah, that's okay. And so Serena insists that, you know, there's no contact between the baby. She just pumps in her room. You know, she doesn't even want to see her, deal with her, talk with her. Oh, yeah, she, she laid she down really the doesn't. law. And so Fred has this mother knows best. (laughs) And so we get to this whole thing setting up Emily at Commander Lawrence's house. And Commander Lawrence is... Bradley Whitford! Bradley Whitford. I I was going to say, and so if you don't know who Bradley Whitford is, if you've seen Get Out, he's the creepy father in that. Or Or if you've seen West Wing. Or West Wing. So, you know, he has a he has a market for the, being kind of these uh, weird, creepy characters. <laughs> no, but OK, so let's talk about him, though, for a minute, because we walk into that house after Aunt Lydia laid out, you know, this man built the economy. He established the economy, figured it all out. He's and a very colonies. smart man. And what? And set up the colonies. And set mm-hmm. up the colonies, yes. And um, he's the only one that wants you. You better make this work. So they go inside and Aunt Lydia's put aback by the way everything's kind of busy in the house and there's I put just down stuff eccentric. everywhere. I put down eccentric house and eccentric Martha. Yes. <laughs> that Martha, that Martha was something else. Her <laughs> so but, another okay, one so, missing an eye. Ex- 
But yes. She's missing an eye, and it's kind of like he's collecting odd pieces. So, you know, you've got an odd Martha. You've got <laughs> an odd handmaid. Odd handmaid. You've got an odd wife. Well, in addition <laughs> to... I don't think she started out odd. No. No. And, but, <clears throat> but, so it seems like he's... Um, he's so the wife was a, an art professor, mm-hmm. and so she must appreciate art. And it seems she like may he's well collected and curated he, a lot of the stuff that's in there. And it right. seems like he's collected a lot of it, yeah, for her to try and apologize, to or at least kept it because I'm assuming they've had a sizable collection pre Gilead, and you but, know most of that stuff was purged. I mean, there's the scene in season one where they're walking through. Um, town, Amoira, and, and they're burning June, everything, and they're, yes. and they're burning books. I mean, that's very common for regimes to do to do to, big purges, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And but he's high enough up in the, in the right. But the way that the place is organized, it. the way that the art is all like overlapping one another, I highly doubt the art professor did that. I'm willing to bet that it was a man's hand and man's decorating. <laughs> possibly, possibly, that's a possible also, possibility. yeah, and. Maybe when, when uh, the, the Martha bumps into things, he's like, I want it in the space that I want it. Put it back. <laughs> yeah, he just seems to look a very eccentric guy, eccentric house, eccentric Martha. And I, it's the island of but, misfit And toys. he's also very unorthodox, you know, when uh, Aunt Lydia leaves and she, you know, blessed be the fruit. And he was like, glory be. And so yeah. I was, what is that? Is that just like a general, like, no. so uh, Christian, I, like, I was wondering if that's like a specific denomination. Glory be is a prayer in Roman Catholic churches. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And that was the other thing too, is that there were religious motifs in the house. There's stained glass mm-hmm. yes. with uh, crucifixes in there. And so Very all Catholic. of that stuff, all of that stuff would have been destroyed. Originally. Theoretically. Yes. But for some reason, it's all in this goddamn house. And he's managed to keep it So like it I said, I think he's a collector of odd ends and bits. But so I also am curious if he specifically wanted Emily because she's a molecular biologist. I mean, it's totally possible. Because he was talking. He knew everything about her. They're sitting down. He pours her some beer. He pours himself more. And he starts asking her questions. And he already knows all the answers about her life. That she was gay. That she was a professor. That she's from Montana. That she taught. You know, all these different... She, he knows everything about her. That she killed a guardian, ran over him. How did that feel? You know, like, he's really trying to get some emotion out of her. But he keeps going back to the whole, like... So, colonies and biology. Let's talk about that. It's and a like, possibility. It, I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, I'm. it's almost like he has a plan. Like, he wants her brain. He wants to pick her brain to try and figure out how to work on the colonies. Because he's the one that designed the colonies, right? That's a very interesting theory. I can vibe with that a little bit. I mean, I think just the general vibe that we get from him is like, okay, this is... He has a plan. I mean, this is, you know, more in the second scene, so we'll get to that a little later. But in this first scene, so I just wanted to go back to the Martha, and the Martha's name is actually Cora, which, mm-hmm. if you read the book, the there are actually two... Uh, Martha's in the Waterford's house in right. the literature. Cora oh, there is Rita, Rita and Cora. I didn't and know so that. in the show, they eliminated Cora to just have Rita. And so Eden came along. I didn't realize it till Cora came along in Lawrence's house. I was like, oh, that's what Eden is sort of taking the place mm-hmm. of. So Eden has come in because Eden is not in the original literature and sort of taken this space of Cora. And so the difference between Rita and Cora as Martha's was that, you know, Rita's kind of the more hardline run, 
grouchy, mm-hmm. meh. You know, like how Rita is kind of in the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Cora was sort of this like bright spot. Like she was this bright personality. And she was younger. Very, younger, mm-hmm. Eden's age. So easygoing and she wants to know all the gossip. And, <laughs> and so she's very like bubbly is right. I would, how mm-hmm. I would describe that. And so when uh, Commander Lawrence is Martha, her name is Cora. And I was like, oh, that's so great that they sort of circled back. And I mean, it's not the same personality as the Cora no. in the literature. Uh, this Martha is definitely... Um, so that makes me think. A couple marble short. <laughs> she definitely is. some marbles. Missing yes. some marbles, but and, you know, um, pointing out that you know that's where and, that's where yeah. they decided to put Cora makes me think. You know, if she was you know a big piece in the original literature, then that must be a hint that this is going to be a big piece going forward. Is this new commander and family unit? Oh, absolutely. I have no doubt about that. And you know, you were talking about the second scene of her him sort of interrogating, and um, so while we're there, you know, the wife comes in and her name is Eleanor yes and she is cracked in the way that Janine is cracked but like Janine is like has sort of like an underlying anchor that she accesses Mm -hmm. right and Eleanor sort of has like an underlying like fear that she accesses and I think a lot of it has to allude to uh Lawrence Commander Lawrence yes and so throughout the interrogation what struck me is I wasn't really paying attention so much as to like what was being said as so much that Emily is afraid and Emily has been a very dangerous character up until now and I think Mm -hmm. this is the first time that Emily's been truly afraid again well so what I thought when he originally talked to her and got her out of the room was I thought he was gonna ask for like a blowy or something like that and I thought that's why she was tense Mm -hmm. but then to see where everything went I was surprised Mm -hmm. in the direction it went to in the conversation that they were having or that he was having at her but yeah, no, she was definitely afraid. Well, part of that, <clears throat> I think there's a number of reasons why she might be. One, um, this house does not belong to anybody that she's familiar with. For all that she has had these, this series of not-so-great commanders, they were all more or less the same. Yeah, she knew Their that. households were laid out more or less the same. She knew how Everything to navigate. Everything she knew how to navigate within that. Whereas this man's very eccentric, like she, she said. No she doesn't know how to navigate this. What, what is likely to happen here. You've got a n- not particularly um, coherent or um, stable or stable wife. Or Martha. Or Martha. Or, well, the Martha's just profane. The <laughs> wife is the, the wife is is nuts, and is is she? It was sort of like a Cassandra sort of thing, you know. That she's, absolutely. She, I'm trying to warn you that he. This is what he did, and he is. He's, there's real people digging that dirt, and it's poison. It's poison, and yes. he's dragging her out of the room. And I'm going, oh my goodness. Well, okay, so, so you got all that. So she was there from the inception. She saw it all go down. She mm-hmm. saw her husband plan the entire economy and all of the colonies. Theoretically, all the wives would have been. I mean, because all the top level commanders who are like the founders of Gilead, these are She's all the their only wives. One that's that right, wa- but that's how that involved wonky. were yeah. the other wives to know everything? They weren't. It was all behind curtains and whatever their husbands told her. Or told Except them. We're, we're assuming like, because we're seems... assuming we're assuming that like because Serena was like literally had a hand. But I mean, if you live in the same household as another person and you're prescribing to all of the things that your 
husband at the time is sort of prescribing to, you know, because mm-hmm. it's like, it seems like at that pre-Gilead, it's more of like a cultural thing and not so much of like a, this is what we're doing, right? right. So I, would, I wouldn't bat an eye if, if a wife knew all the things that were going on pre-Gilead. If, I mean, she wasn't maybe particularly involved in any of it going it down, but... It just, it seems like she was more involved or knows more than most of the other wives. And that's why she probably lost it a little bit. Possibly. I think what my theory on her state of mind is that she just like literally has too much of a conscience. I think maybe some of the concepts she was like on board for and she was like, okay, that's cool. I guess, you know, I'm going to go along with it. And then as things start to shake out and things get progressively and progressively worse for lots of people I think that's when she really starts to internalize the guilt like these are humans that we're doing this to yeah I'm not even sure they're that religious honestly yeah they don't seem like a religious household Mm -mm. they don't seem like Um, they ascribe it's interesting the religious motifs in the house though yeah yeah but they're art it could be yeah and they're not philosophy or study studies it's more about the art than it is the actual study I am I I don't get the feeling that they're they're true believers or even fake believers, you know, I, I just don't I get agree. the feeling that they're terribly mm-hmm. religious at all. I mean, he does not dress like a commander. No, no. Um, he doesn't act like one. He doesn't talk he like doesn't, one. He doesn't know the correct responses to make. To, he, it's like he doesn't stuff. expect anyone in the house to follow the correct responses either. Yeah, he seems like a bit of a recluse because for the for how floored or flustered Aunt Lydia was when she first walked in there makes me feel like was this not her first time being in this household? Must have. Right? I mean, or maybe it was in a different state before and now it's gotten progressively worse, you know, sort of like how hoarders are where maybe. you're like, oh, it's just a little cluttered and then it turns into a situation. So there's a lot of possibilities there. Definitely. Hard to know which one it is. But mm-hmm. I do, you know, now that you bring up, you know, how unorthodox these two are, maybe it's not so much like, a, you know, they went along with it, but there has to be something about him that, I mean, he is a top level commander. He orchestrated the colonies. He has it to prescribe to some. The... Yeah. To some of these ideals, what Wasn't would they there, be? And I guess we'll hit on this when we get to the epilogue. Wasn't there, weren't there two potential Freds yes, that they yes. were trying to figure out which house in the epilogue, she was yes. in? Yes. yes. And one of them had been a marketing advertising person. And which is one of friend. them was an economist, mm. as I recall. And so... This is why we're going to talk about the epilogue. It's possible (laughs) that some of those aspects they have placed in here, so it was more like, yeah, I get it, you all are, you know, all all theocratic here and and so on and so forth, but some of us got to think about how we're all going to eat. So, um, how can we monetize some of this? How are we going to... Um, what would be a way to have this work out right. um, from an economic standpoint? So he may have been involved from that standpoint right. without actually having any belief in the religious aspect. I can see it. that. Yeah, I don't he know doesn't seem like a... he's in the religious side. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the term is for that, but like exactly what you said, someone who is you know not necessarily you know, all jazzed about this Gilead aesthetic, but is kind of drawn to like, oh, we're going to overthrow the American government and institute our own. 
I'm kind of down with that. So I don't know if this is a term for someone whose aesthetic is that. I don't want to say anarchist because it's not the proper term, but yeah. something along mm-hmm. those lines. He's I'm not sure. an anarchist per se, but he definitely he ascribed to the whole like, oh, you want to overthrow a government and make a new economy? Cool. Ooh, this is fun. Like it's like that. a lab. Like, let's do this in real life. I mean, I think also, I don't know if a violent tendencies is the right thing to say, but I, f- I feel like there's some strain in there. Like, he had sort of that offhand uh, comment in the very first scene with Emily where there's a book out, and it's out, out. Mm-hmm. And oh, she's yeah. peering at it, and she goes, do you know what the offense is for? For reading. For reading. And she goes, the first offense is to lose a finger. And he goes, do you think that's just? And she has to calculate her answer because, again, like what you had pointed out, you don't, she, just, she doesn't know how to navigate the situation. Right. She just says, it's, it's the law. law. And she goes, yeah, he used to be a hand in the <laughs> good old days. And so I couldn't think if that was sarcastic or if he was serious. So I don't know if he was being serious, but I know he was referencing the Bible specifically, the yeah. good old days. Yeah. And I, so. I it, it felt he, like he was being a little bit facetious mm-hmm. with what he was saying. Not necessarily like serious, but definitely facetious to see what he could get out of her. I, it was just such a line because I was like, that could go either way. Yes. That's a very tricky and, you know, what, you know, uh, Masterful acting. I have by to rewatch that and Whitford. slow it down and see what graphic novel. Yes, that was. It definitely was. It, I want to say a comic of some sort. <clears throat> I know, but it, it looked like Dex to watch out for, but I'm not sure. Persepolis. That. It looked oh, like Persepolis. It, it was too thick to be Persepolis. You think so? The um and and Persepolis isn't in um Arabic. No, Persepolis isn't in um squares that's true that's mm. why i was thinking it looked what it looked more like to me was dykes to watch out for gotcha um gotcha which would be interesting given emily given emily yeah um who might in fact actually recognize it yeah. as dykes to watch out for and go wait why does why he have is this here yeah so that would explain. Anyway, I'll, I'll look at it again when I, I like to go back and, and slow things down. Right. And now I just had this thought, you know, in, in talking about Commander Lawrence and that how complex this character is in these two scenes. And so which does stand to reason that he's going to be a major player like what Abigail said. And so that this sort of downturn, it seemed in this episode in terms of the storyline with June Serena and uh, baby Holly sort of took this, you know, I don't want to say chill because, I mean, the baby's obviously really fussy and there's a lot of tension between them and, and, and the whole motherhood postpartum. But it, it sort of had to level out because now mm-hmm. we're seeing the rise of somebody else who's going to be sort of the major player. So we've sort of tapered off this storyline to get, which I sort of like because I think when shows right. try to juggle too, too many storylines, it gets too much. It, it gets mm-hmm. really convoluted. And, um, and we still, again, have that other shoe to drop with the whole Mexico deal. We haven't had any other word about that in 12 episodes. So. Though we do mm-hmm. have some chocolate. So we're going to assume that we have some active trade for some chocolate. Possibly. Possibly. Yeah. So there's all of that going on there. Um, we, we haven't gotten to her yet, but I, I figure we, we better Yeah, get there. I mean, the real climax of this episode Eden. is Eden. And so Offred, after pumping 
and she can hear baby Holly and you know it's it's really has taking an emotional toll to be near her and yeah. like not mother her and it's get to touch her you know so all that hard. stuff and so Alfred goes down to put the breast milk in the fridge and Eden is there and Eden's you know I can't wait to breastfeed and like be a mother and she sort of has this odd you know candid moment and she's like don't you think that God would want a child's parents that love each other. And I mm-hmm. like how they were both talking about very different things. Yeah. And Don't worry about me. I won't be here long. Oh, sweetheart. She thought she, thought she was yeah. talking about Nick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, obviously, Eden and Isaac have had a thing since, you know, last episode or a couple episodes ago. And Alfred sort of gives this advice, you know, in this place, you know, you grab love wherever you can find it. And I think that's just not, you know, obviously we're talking in this very grim, bleak world. And I would agree with that statement. You could extrapolate that to, you know, life. Yeah. It wasn't meant to be, but I mean, you know, you can extrapolate that for yourself in your own life. I mean, what is the purpose of life? She really, I think, thought she was talking about Nick. She really did. And the moment that... look, I'm not going to be here that long. I'm going to be leaving... You don't give up on him, yeah. you know. You right. you you grab love wherever you can find it, and she sure as heck did. In the wrong also way. for the preservation of Nick, because mm-hmm. we've known, you know, she was fearful at first that uh, Eden was going to report Nick for being right. a gender traitor if they were yes. going to consummate their marriage. Right. So she was. I definitely agree. Now that you guys are talking about it, that she was definitely thinking on the Nick train. I mean, she obviously didn't know anything mm-hmm. about Isaac, so why would she? She wouldn't have done any otherwise. And so Nick comes in and uh, Rita and Alfred are in the kitchen and in a different, you know, scene in, you know, maybe a different day. And Rita sort of has this, like, I'm sorry, you know, she feels for the pain that Alfred is going through. Right. Mm -hmm. And then Nick is like, well, Eden is gone. (laughs) And. uh, Well, have you seen her? Yeah. She was, she She wasn't wasn't here here. when I got up this morning. And And Rita hasn't seen her. And Alfred was like, she's at the mall. There's a sale at Old Navy. <laughs> and then they hilarious. go back and forth and have their little, like, uh, scenario going on between the two of them. That's mm-hmm. hysterical to me. Yeah, and they sort of have this uh, another... thing. Yeah. yeah, they have a tender moment. You know, our baby is so beautiful. I wish I could hold her. Oh, yeah. me too. I mean, it's really sad it and is. tender. And, and honest. They, we talked about, you know, running away to the West Coast, but it's still Gilead. And, yeah. you know, they sort of fantasize. I was like, oh, what about Hawaii? You know, it's and clearly uh, she'll meant eat to be fantasy. Sand. They're not going anywhere. Yeah. And so there is this um, really right. nice moment between mm-hmm. them. And then Commander comes in and she's like, where the fuck is Isaac? And <laughs> then that's where it occurs to Nick. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, we may, we may, we may have a situation. see the gears turning in his head, and then he was like, uh, uh, I think we have a situation. situation. What I found myself thinking with regard to Eden, and yes, we have largely seen her as a pain in the ass, but... She's a simple simpleton. Well, not in heart. terms of being yeah. stupid. I just mean in terms of being simple. Yeah. She's like, very simple, yeah. She's from out in the Midwest somewhere. She's, what, 15? Yep. This has been going on for, what, about five years, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So she was like 10. 10. Mm-hmm. She's so only like Agnes's age. Right. When all of this, Agnes's current age, when this all came down the pike. The likelihood is that she was some kind of 
evangelical or um, uh, the the Warren Jeffs uh, <laughs> Latter Day Saints. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. Offshoot. One of those. Right. Um, FDLS. Um, or uh, or somebody to start off with because her mother and her little sister and everybody, even at the wedding, they didn't seem that weirded out by any of this. No. It was like no, they were all our fifteen okay year old daughter is getting married to somebody that she just met and we're completely cool with this. In fact we see it as an honor mm-hmm. and so probably she was raised very deeply religious to begin with. Right. Likely. And so this was probably not that much of a change mm-hmm. for her. Right. Because she had been raised to She bake probably doesn't remember anything for, beyond. Like, right. So, right. This, you know, this is just the way that she was raised. So what came to me as I was thinking about it was, this is what the generation coming up behind is increasingly going to look like. Mm, mm-hmm. Because if you think about it, everybody that June typically comes in contact with is 30 years old and up. Yeah, they had a substantial life before They had a substantial life before all this. Most of them don't believe in this, even the, even the, the higher-ups. Fred does not believe in this stuff, mm-hmm. really, other than that it gives him power. Power. Serena does, and he's bought into it because, you know, it, it happens to work for his purposes. Right. But he's, he's in advertising and marketing. He knows about facades and what things are supposed to look like. And how to sell an image. And how to sell images. Um, certainly June doesn't believe it. Emily doesn't believe it. Janine doesn't believe it. Aunt Lydia does. Um, Aunt Lydia is one of the few true believers. Mm-hmm. But in general, most of the people that June runs across on a regular basis had a life before this, and this is something new to them that they're still adjusting to. Yeah. Eden has bought into this... Hook, line, and sinker. ...at a deep level. This is actually something she believes, that God wants things to be a certain way. This is not, has nothing to do with Gilead and has to do with her individual relationship with God. I think that's what makes Eden's character so brilliant in this episode, because mm-hmm. we didn't know how Eden's character was going to pay off, and sadly, right. I was kind of really sad that, you know, they had... I'm sad that she's conclusion. gone. And and I love that. Exactly what you pointed out, that there is this distinct difference, is her personal relationship with God and her beliefs do not match up with the structure that Gilead has. No. And so what Gilead says its beliefs are in the society that's structured around it to support those beliefs or likely the beliefs they pick out to To support support the the structure structure that they want she no longer feels that those are in line and she'd rather preserve 
her relationship with God than to bend to those norms. And mm-hmm. she knows the risk that she's going to. She knows that she's probably going to die if they right. get caught. But to her, it's I mean, more noble and more pure of spirit. And that's what I truly believe. It's like, I have so much respect because she, at least she was pure of spirit. She didn't give anything mm-hmm. up of herself in order to um, have her best life, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And because I mean, even Nick, you know, in the locker room, which is like, listen, like we can we can say all these things. These are the loopholes out of it. And she was like, but that's lying to God. Just yeah. repent mm-hmm. and like be truthful to God. God knows what's in our hearts. It, what came up for me was, I mean, it's an inaccurate parallel, but I just for some reason kept thinking Joan of Arc or like martyrdom. Yeah, we're just really sticking with. Because isn't it how, you know, Joan of Arc came to be executed, even though mm-hmm. she did all these great things, was like she was being they asked said, to. Here's, here's what you, you know, do. Just yeah. say that you didn't really hear him. Right, right, right. And, right, right. and you know, that, that and, and we will let you live. Mm-hmm. But she, she couldn't. She was like, no. No, that's I, not. I did this all in the will of God. Sorry. Bye. Like, deal with it. That's that's sort of the vibe that I got. But I mean, there's been there's mm-hmm. a lot of parallels throughout history, obviously, of this very similar thing happening. So, yeah, I'm I mean, really sad that she's gone. But I think that her storyline did her a lot of justice. justice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. So I would also I mean, I know this is a little bit left field, but uh, the way. Hey, the way you were talking about how this next generation is coming up, I mean, mm-hmm. a parallel can be drawn to our own real world where, you know, we've got these millennials, you know, or even after them, you know, babies born after 2000, mm-hmm. they don't know a life without tablets or phones, smartphones, where a computer's in your pocket. Mm-hmm. And then there's us where, well, I mean, I'm still technically a millennial, I but about to say. I'm a millennial and like, I remember floppy disks. I remember MP3 players. I remember, you know, the first digital camera I had had a floppy disk to make it work. Mm-hmm. Like, nice. I remember these things. I had a conversation with a quote unquote youngster who uh, had no re- recollection of Destiny's Child, and I about... Like, who are you? No, that's <laughs> not okay. I about had a seizure. I couldn't mm-hmm. deal with it. Yeah, no, I totally like, get what you're saying. It's a parallel to be made. You know, everyone post-2000 that's born, they will not know what it's like to not have technology in their hands that can access the well, everything at their fingertips. And then also the level of security and intrusiveness that comes from yes. said technology. I don't think that... 14, 15, 10-year-old, thinking of my nieces, 10-year-old people have an assumption of, have the assumption of privacy. They don't know what it means. That we have. Right. Um, that there is not someone after our data or watching us or um, tracking our keystrokes right. or that there are not cameras everywhere um, watching us, you know, on every street corner, not as bad here as in Europe. I mean, that was one of the weird things when I was in London, was looking up literally on every corner, and yep. there's a camera. Yeah, absolutely. Um, For me, so it's... So I, I think that, that that's something that they just take for granted. Yeah. And we're still, ooh, that's Still creepy. figuring there's, out there's yeah, people, where the lines there's, are. There's, there's, how are people getting my data? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, my 10-year-old niece could access your data. If <laughs> she put her mind... No, really! I yeah, mean, probably no, right. in all you're likelihood... Totally right. the, you it's know, a different the, world. And they I, just know how to do this stuff. 
I also, I mean, for me, it comes up more culturally, like that the generation before us, hopefully, fingers crossed, to me, are going to be more tolerant culturally of LGBTQ trans people, of other races, theoretically, is my hope. But sort of, you know. Some of them. Some of them. Most of them. Well, uh, so that, but it's just yeah. the parallel that I wanted to draw yeah. is yeah. that you know each generation has its own thing where like it will never understand what the previous generation had, or how what they have now is so beyond different and they're raised in a different environment. And that's that's basically the parallel that I wanted to draw in relation to Eden. Like her generation and thereafter, they're purists. That is all they know. They don't know pre Gilead. Mm-hmm. Also, it goes I think the other way around is that Eden taught you know, June, Nick, everyone about what it's like to have grown up like that in mm-hmm. such a pure way. Because everyone is just so and, fucking cynical. And to have such Understandable. Sh- yeah. Understandably. And, and she taught them what it's like, what it means to have an, a one-on-one personal relationship. Not just like a, a religion, but a relationship with God. Yeah, not just verses and consequences to actions and laws. Because mm-hmm. they don't aren't synonymous that you know, this theocratic oligarchy, you know, the laws that you put in place in order to enforce these passages of the Bible does not make one more or less pious than another. Mm-hmm. You know, it just becomes a means in order to, of control. Yes. Right. You know, and it has nothing to do with fostering a, a close relationship. relationship with God. Whereas for her, it was an actual comfort to know that she could talk to God, to know that she could rely on God, to know that God was in her life and in every corner of it. It, it gave her comfort and she relied on that. And and clearly this was something that Isaac believed too. Isaac is not that much older than Correct. she is. They had the same very, very young, thought yeah. process. And the fact that Isaac, that was also, you know, now that you bring Isaac up, I mean, he's so understated in this episode because he didn't give himself up either. No. He stood by her. I mean, stood they were standing for, up, he on, was that, a, he up was on that, that guardian board that everyone was afraid of originally. Right. Like, mm-hmm. he can, you know, he's a 20-year-old who can beat me to the ground if I don't say my words correctly. He could have easily been like, okay, repent, and he would have gotten off the hook pretty easy. Oh, yeah. You know, Eden probably still would have gotten punished, but, I mean, he was guardian and a he man. Was a guardian. And so. I mean, but we have seen guardians punished in the past, and today was no exception, so... I thought that that, you know, we had a new director on this episode, Dana Reed, and that scene in the pool is so haunting. And there were but also, it was I noticed, there I do were agree. Old, there were, there were other weights, weights down the there, bottom. so this mm-hmm. is. It's interesting that they don't reuse happened. weights, they yeah, just leave them down there. Like, go down there it's and a get them. Psychological thing. Maybe, yeah. Think about it. You're standing up on the diving board looking down into the pool, and what do you see? You see other weights that yep. are down there. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing know, that came up for me not only was Joan Now go of ahead Arc. and repent, or you're <laughs> going to be down there with the weights. <laughs> the other thing that came up for me also was sort of, for some reason, throwing a woman into the water. I'm like, she's a witch! Um, just <gasps> yes. that, yeah, that aesthetic. They weren't giving her the opportunity and, to swim, though, were they? No, water and know. women and heretics for some reason. Mm-hmm. I want to know how heavy those weights are that they kept them down there. Because they look like tiny little keggle balls. They were pretty heavy. They were pretty heavy. So before the entire pool scene, Alfred is, you know, still kind of in the house. So Fred comes in, and he's still dealing with all the Eden stuff. This is before the pool scene. Calls her a slut. and <laughs> Takes up all my time dealing with this slut. 
and gave her Fred, the opportunity to be in the Waterford home, blah, blah, blah. I just don't get Fred. Like, even after the whole can of worms opens up in last episode when Serena is telling him off, you know, how naive can you be? These yeah. people fucking hate you. And, you know, why would she risk so much to leave? And I'm like, you just, like, don't get, like, everything <laughs> just, like, revolves, like, everyone thinks like you, world revolves around you. It like, was you so funny. It does not register. And she said it right to um, June, too. Why would she run? She was like, where were you? I ran twice. (laughs) (laughs) And so they they talk about the scene, the exact scene that I'm talking about in the house. And she's like, where were you hiding in the attic? So you heard us. And uh, she says, you know, I just wanted to spend some more time with my baby. He goes, well, it's what you wanted to see Hannah. I'm glad I made it happen for you. And she's just like, thanks. Because it's that all the thanks that I get. And I'm like, I, I was very uncomfortable in that scene Arr. because it, mm-hmm. it, it felt, and I'm sure it's the way it was supposed to feel, but it felt like he was asking Ugh. her to go down on him and to thank him sexually Ooh. in any mm-hmm. way she could think. And well, I mean, it made me very uncomfortable. Now that she has had the baby. I mean, it wasn't a problem before that she was pregnant that Fred would have sex with her and rape her. So no, now but, that she's had the baby, but, it's even more like, we can do this now. But hey, to hey. our knowledge, he's never done anything beyond sex. It's always just been dick and vagina. It's never been... Like, they've had their Scrabble nights, but to our knowledge, he has not asked for blowjobs the way that some other commanders have. I mean, I don't know that blowjobs are even really the point. It's more like he's seeking some sort of extramarital relationship in a way that is, you know, fulfills his, you know, sick desires for mm-hmm. having a mistress. I got you. I got you what you said you wanted. Is that all the thanks so I get? I don't think it's like necessarily about here. the blowjob. Is the fact that like he assumes <clears throat> he's going to get sex as a return for his investment in her. Whereas mm-hmm. originally yeah. the Doesn't investment matter. in her was a sorry for raping you. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing, you know, going back to season one with, like, Jezebels, and he was like, oh, I took you out. Oh, I, you know, brought your friend from before in here. You know, you guys should get it on. She guys shouldn't, like, think. It shouldn't, aren't you guys grateful? Like, it, it just, like, revolves in his, you know, he, sick head. He has a very demented with, vision of the way things go down. And, yeah. And yeah, and I wrote down here, this is, you know, June's been so focused, understandably, on the pregnancy and the baby and Hannah that that took up all of the ethos of the last episode. Now we're like back in the Waterford house and the clear and present danger is back. And Mm -hmm. that clear and present danger is Fred Fred. Mm -hmm. through and through shitty, super shitty. But she knows a better way to deal with him at this point now because she was like, well, yeah, we could play some Scrabble. Scrabble. Yeah, we haven't Mm -hmm. done that in a while. That'd be fun. And to think, and he's like, well, we'll see. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. Can I say somebody needs to record that like 20 seconds of tape after he walked out that was all close ups of Elizabeth Moss's face? Yes. And count how many different emotions went across her face. I was like, I want to watch that as a, like, in an acting class. Yes. And go through, I can't have that many, that close up, like you could see her pores just about, and have that many different um, expressions go across her face in that time period. She had an internal monologue like no other right then. Mm-hmm. Incredible. 
you know, one or two, you know, I could, I could (laughs) say that was, that was more like 10. She's brilliant. Again, I'll be personally campaigning for Elizabeth Moss's Emmy. So if you want to join me, I'll be doing (laughs) that. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, Oh, I just had another thought. Can we back up? Yeah, of course. (laughs) One of the. What are the benefits to being the African-American at the table? You know what? The other thing, and this came to me last night, and I couldn't think of what vision I was having here. The other thing that came to mind with them being pushed off of the, the thing with the, with the weights on them, mm. how many people saw Amistad? Oh, where they what? threw the, Amistad, the movie, where they threw all the slaves mm. over the side of the ship with the, with the mm. weights and sank them. That's sad. Um, What they used to do if you were either um, a recalcitrant slave that they didn't think they were going to be able to break, or if they were running out of food um, and they needed to get rid of some of you because you were cargo, was that they would chain you to a weight Mm. and throw you over the side of the ship mm. and you would sink to the bottom mm. and there is in fact I have to look up where it is I'm off the but in there is a a memorial underwater Ooh. off the coast of somewhere where what they have down there are statues of people attached to oh. to weights and they're underwater you can like swim through it and they're they're meant to be slaves that were thrown oh. over during the. Um, That's upsetting. That's really during the passage. That's yeah. really sad. I I'm happy that there is a memorial to memorialize those people, but that's. I mean, as we'll get to in the epilogue, a lot of mm-hmm. things that are in the construction of Gilead. One thing that they mention is like nothing is original. Yeah. And so a lot of things in the show, I think the way that they punish people, is to is these various means and I guess this is drawn from that you know now that we're back in the pool scene one thing that I had forgotten to talk about was really you know what sort of caps this episode with Serena Holly and sort of her reconciliation with June is Serena's so upset and Serena is just really hurt by the way that this has all gone down with Eden and she is just kind of like really destroyed like she and holly is there at the Mm -hmm. execution and it's just like oh Uh, and uh, eden's mother was there and uh, and i think her sister you know she her mother was pleading with her to repent like not you know basically you know be punished and and killed and so I think the commentary that starts with this scene, you know, with Holly there and the parents there and her younger sister, Eden's younger sister, and Serena is all upset. I mean, they're all upset. It's very upsetting. But how this ties into the reconciliation well, but so is that, you know, this is how children grow up in Gilead. And there's also a little tidbit in the inside the episode where one of the producers says, you know, you can do every single thing right and Gilead can still harm you mm-hmm. and can still execute you. And so I think that becomes very present for Serena. I mean, having this is a Ho- Holly's first public execution and she's an infant. 
Yeah. I mean, not she's going to remember it, well, but the so point is, is that she's there and that this is happening. And the assumption is that but she should be there. But the question is, mm-hmm. why is she actually crying? She was cr- blubbering. She yeah. was crying so hard. But so my question is whether, why she was crying specifically. It could be because, you know, you're right. You could do everything right and still be punished in Gilead, and that's the world that she's bringing her child up in. Mm-hmm. Or it could be, you know, that she thought Eden was one of the good ones, mm-hmm. that she was a pure, innocent soul that and did she not said deserve that, to. That she's a good, pious girl. And yeah, blah, yeah. Blah, blah, while her husband's calling her a slut. A combination of things that for she sure. saw her as a child and she watched a child, a child die yeah. over love. Mm-hmm. Something that she told her was acceptable to have right mm-hmm. you know there's so many different reasons why she could be crying right now and it, it it's probably all of them yeah i think a Absolutely. lot of it was that they just they knew her yeah this was somebody and they, they knew. knew and that they didn't harbor any ill toward feelings for it. so this does feel like a loss and you know we're talking about passages there's quite a few in this episode and you know she starts uh, eden starts reciting first corinthians 13 you know very popular well you know known passage mm-hmm. and I thought that that was love is patient, beautiful, love is kind. because mm-hmm. I think a lot of times scripture from the Bible is used in such a negative way in the show, mm-hmm. and everything about Eden, like this whole through line, this episode was turning that on its head, and like, what if we made this beautiful, and this is what it would look like, and this is what it would feel like, and this is what it would act like. Yeah, and that was all Eden, and and uh, she was named well, like think of the Garden of Eden, like mm-hmm. just very pure, clean of heart, and. So after, directly after that scene, you know, Nick is in the kitchen. I noticed he was still wearing his wedding ring. He's obviously very, has a lot of trauma. And even though June tries to comfort him, you know, he's just like not having it. And I think they haven't talked about, I mean, what Alfred said to Eden right before she ran off with Isaac. So I know that June harbors some guilt. And obviously Nick has a whole lot of guilt. I mean, we didn't really talk in length about that scene where they ask to forgive each other, where Nick is yeah. like, this is my fault. This is my fault. I drove you away. And I, I could have been kinder, kinder to you. I should have paid more attention. I should have been more loving. Like, this is him, like, having a come-to-Jesus moment. Yeah, for real. I mean, we, we, we didn't talk about that at all, but, I mean, that was such a profound scene for him. And I yes. think that was what I thought was sort of him turning the page and a new leaf mm-hmm. before this all happened, yes. you know, and that that wasn't the case and this is what it led to and so this is him coming face to face with you know sort of his consequences of his actions yeah in a really big way and that's someone who's an innocent person you know the only crime quote unquote which is not a crime is that she loved somebody you know that wasn't her husband but her husband that's all an arranged marriage anyway and her no hu- matter how you nick, dice it you know what and if they had handled it correctly i think nick would have actually been okay with her having isaac on the side because i mean he if we're being okay honest he was okay with it yeah yeah he didn't mind to begin mm-hmm. with he was like it's okay like you do you boo <laughs> <laughs> he was not hurt at all because he didn't love her um I mean, he didn't want to be with her. She was a child bride, and, like, mm-hmm. it wasn't his choice. He did not, did not elect for a wife. Right. So, I mean, like, he, he's got mixed emotions, you know? Like, if we had handled this correctly, you could have loved him on the side and stayed alive. But then we didn't handle this correctly. So, again, if I had handled things correctly, you would have loved me, and we could have stayed happy. Like, there was so many different avenues that could have gone down that didn't end in her demise. Right. And that's what's eating at him. A completely innocent person that yeah. he's basically pushed into 
this situation. You know, and it, it's like the hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we obviously have perspectives, you know, watching the show that these characters don't have. But it is sort of that, that, you know, like, what don't you see of what your behavior you feel is, like, harmless and pushing people away or not treating someone the way that they, you know, should be treated with respect or kindness or civility? And what is, you know, kind of the other deep end of that, so to speak, you know, not to be crass but so we get to the conclusion of this episode and june checks in with serena because she knows that serena's really upset serena's not okay and holly wakes up and so there's this moment where serena has a realization where instead of doing what's best for serena which is to push everyone away that is not holly or Nicole, well, okay. the baby. And, and she even she, tried to nurse the she, child yeah, herself. Ew, yeah. Can we talk oh, about yeah. that for we a totally second? Oh, yeah, we totally skipped that Well, scene. okay, so I do want to make a comment about that. Like, she wanted to have the feeling mm-hmm. of nursing the child herself, and that was quite a beautiful moment where she tried, and then the baby got upset, and she was so apologetic, so I'm so sorry. But I've learned, I know from my mother that... Um, she had a lot of foster babies. She loved being a foster mother to just little babies all the time. She wanted babies in the house, no matter what. And I learned from her that even if you haven't had a child, you can uh, get your body to start lactating for a child. Uh, It takes a lot of time and a lot of work um, and a lot of time of the child being upset with not getting anything out of you. Um, But you will start producing milk if you go through the right therapy with the child just constantly latched and trying. Interesting. That is true. Mm -hmm. I wish she had known that and she could have worked on it. I'm sure she did know that. That was less the issue, I think, than because otherwise she wouldn't have tried it at all. I think that... Well, she didn't keep at it and she hasn't hasn't actually tried to do the therapy itself. I think the point of it... Because she's got the actual source of the actual milk for the child in the house. She might well have continued to try had, you mm-hmm. know, they not executed Eden and then she was, you know, thinking about other things. But the the point being, I, just to circle back to what you were just saying, her trying to feed that child was not about her trying to feed that child. Mm-mm. If that child had been an orphaned or a foster child and she had not had access to the actual child's biological mother who was already lactating, mm-hmm. then sure, that's something to try. And you don't have anything else available to you. That was about Serena. Yeah, yep. no, 100%. She wanted to experience the feeling. She was being selfish in that moment. Correct. And then, so, like, auxiliary you know, of, like... When you've got the, you've mm. got the child's actual mother who is lactating and pumping to feed the child a floor up from you close enough that she can hear the baby through the floor. You're trying to feed the baby yourself out of your completely milkless boob has to do with you. (laughs) Yeah. And it is, it is that whole dynamic of like, you know, she's still reconciling, like, you know, this is my baby. This is my baby. This is my child via a surrogate. And it's, and it's been so fraught so far, and so now that the baby is here, there's, she's still working through all that psychological, like, because it isn't her biological child. Right. So it's still taking a toll on her psyche. You know, and the, the title of this episode is Postpartum. Yes. And it seems like she's got more of the postpartum depression than, than June does. Yeah, they're, yeah. like, both going through it. Interestingly, I wonder why they didn't put this in. 
you've got the ceremony where you got the 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 wife behind the handmaid for the sex. You got the the birth where you got the the wife behind the handmaid with the birth. Why don't they have the handmaid nurse with the mom behind her? Oh, interesting. That is interesting. I'm that curious. Is interesting. Maybe that's. I wonder. It's like so biological. Like they don't see right, it as something spiritual, so they're like. Eh. Well, I don't even mean in terms of spiritual. Yeah. Just thinking from a from a behavioral psychology standpoint, right. yeah, the baby is being nursed within smell range of the person who's taking mm, care of them. Yeah. So they've come to link. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I wonder You're what, smarter because, than the people I'll tell in Gilead. You, I'll, tell you why, because, <laughs> I'll tell you why. Because guys came up with this structure. Not <laughs> very, not not very true. True. They wouldn't true. think about something no. like that. They did not, not think about the breastfeeding. They they They're like, not. they can birth together. And then afterwards, they had no plan. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it also... You know, just reminds me of this scene in Mad Max Fury Road where there's like the room full of women and they're like all pumping. It's it's really weird and gross. But anyway, you know what I'm talking <laughs> yes, about. That's yes. what I thought about, too. So, you know, in the conclusion of this episode, the flip of that, of everything is really about Serena and anything that has not to do with Holly. She pushes away, even when like Eden runs away at first. She was like, I don't care like i am taking care of my baby right now like leave me alone and yeah don't don't involve me you go find her you deal with it on your own i have all i care about and it becomes then she realizes you know we have to do what's best for the child and that means putting her pride aside and all this baggage that she has about june and all the baggage she has about you know, the way that she's come to acquire this baby. Yeah. She has to really put all of that behind her and just do what's best for the child and let her nurse with June. And there is this passage. That was a tender moment. Yeah. There's this passage um, that I believe Serena says, right? Yes, she does. You know, and it's from Isaiah 49. She says, I will contend with those who contend with you and I will save your children. Um, and I think that just really, to me, that spoke to her realization that, you know, it's really just, it, it's up to them I mean, to she, protect, qu- you know, you cannot trust the system. And I, you know, we've talked before about the breakdown of Serena's belief in Gilead and the structures therein. We saw her probably on like a personal and um, uh, p- professional level when she went to Canada and how mm-hmm. each step of the way she was really affected mm-hmm. by the entire thing. And so now, now that she had been so obsessed with the birth of this baby and now the baby is here, now she has to contend with this again. And I think this time I feel is going to stick than what didn't before because she has no other distractions now. Right. You know, in order for the well-being of her child she realizes she's going to have to do things that don't follow the standards and rules and laws of Gilead. And well, so the quote itself is um, something that God says, and then God said, and she does the quote. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had to look into the quote itself because I was curious what exactly it was trying to get at. And I feel like what God was saying in that passage specifically was, you know, things are going to go wrong and I will punish what goes wrong and take care of the children thereafter. Mm-hmm. Like to try and set things on proper course in the end one mm-hmm. way or another. Right. That's the way it sounded. And 
her saying that in that moment, it was kind of like contending with yeah. June saying, you know what, like everything that's gone down up until now, we do what's best for the child. Yeah. And so again, like they've reformed, they've been frenemies for so long <laughs> in and out, in and outs. It comes in, it goes. And so now that they've really sort of come together again. And I watched the sneak peek for season finale, episode 13. Looks mm-hmm. very interesting. I couldn't extrapolate very much from it. So if you uh, have think we've missed anything in this episode, want to chat uh, with us about anything that happened, please reach out to us, thehandmaidspodcast at gmail.com or on our Facebook page at The Handmaid's Podcast. You can also make a donation at coffee.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the handmaids podcast. And we will be back next week. One more week, guys. For our finale. For our finale. And so we will also be recording um, a podcast about the epilogue. We'll be breaking down that. There's a lot of information on there and a lot of background info, which I think over the latter half of season two has just become more and more relevant. It has. So that's why we wanted to sort of dig into that and uh, uh, break it down for you. So you don't necessarily have to read it, but go to a bookstore or buy the book and read mm-hmm. the last few pages so you didn't or realize there was that episode. I'm sure a bunch of you do. Uh, audiobook, <laughs> it's like the last chapter on the uh, Audible audiobook. So reach out to us and we will see you one more week. Bye, Bye guys! Bye. Thanks so much for joining us for another week at The Handmaid's Podcast. This is Donna Bali, your producer and host. Thanks so much to Kay Megan Washington and Abigail Johnson, my lovely co-hosts. Please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps us bump up in the rankings and helps others who love The Handmaid's Tale as much as we do find our podcast. Thanks so much to Traumatic Videos Auto and Running Griff Mama for your iTunes reviews. Our music is by bensound.com. Our logo is made by Jocko Stracal, and we record at the Look On Media Studios in downtown Baltimore, Maryland. Mm-hmm.